The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Engaging conversation with Jaylen Nye. This is the Afternoon News on Edmonton's News and Conversation Station, 630 Chad. Here's guest host Kelsey Campbell. I'm sorry. But I'm just a girl, not usually the kind to show my heart to the world. I'm pretty good at keeping it together. I hold my composure for worse or for better. So I apologize if you don't like what you see. But sometimes my emotions get the best of me. She has come a long way since her American Idol victory in 2005. That's probably all you needed to hear. We probably don't even need to play the guest host intro saying that Kelsey Campbell's in studio when you suddenly hear country right out of the gates. And it's not just me. We've got Morgan Black sitting across. Hello. Hello, Kelsey. And the reason we're playing Carrie Underwood, not just because I adore the woman, I think she's crazy talented, but you may already be preparing for her concert tonight at Roger's Place. She's hitting it up for her Cry Pretty tour. Are you uh, a country girl? Oh, I saw Carrie Underwood the last time she came. I'm not going tonight, but every time she plays before he cheats, the stadium loses their mind. And I, well, she went to Big Valley and I saw her there as I guess I've seen Carrie Underwood twice. I'm a bigger fan than I thought. And uh, Jesus, take the wheel. That's a good song to cry to. It's uh, <laughs> she's incredible. She's crazy talented. She's big on the sparkles. Everything sparkles, including her microphone. She does different costume changes throughout the show. Uh, not Katy Perry style. And I've never seen Katy Perry in concert, but I have been told that woman is unbelievable. And I love talking to men about Carrie, Katy Perry, who you wouldn't really expect to be the hardcore fans, but they're like, it's mystifying how she changes as quickly as she does. Yes, I went to go see her California Dreams tour and she came out with like every possible outfit had some sort of like fruit on it. It was like she was wearing an outfit made out of cherries. She was wearing an outfit made out of cotton candy. Her costume designer has some serious talent. Unbelievable. So one of the big stories of the day, Carrie Underwood in town for the country fans out there. The other being... The ninth coach in 11 seasons has been named to the Edmonton Oilers. Dave Tippett is the new head coach. No word yet uh, with any firm numbers of what his salary is going to be, what they're signing him for. But uh, it sounds like he's signed on for a three-year contract with the Edmonton Oilers. If you missed our extensive coverage that started with that news conference at 11 o'clock, you can always go back and check out the podcast. We carried that all the way through until 2 o'clock when the news hit. But also, uh, Reed Wilkins will be back on the air at 6 o'clock tonight. No, the NHL final game this evening. So Reed will be here with Inside Sports and have any of the the added details that you may have missed out on. Pretty cool listening to Ken Holland, who's the new GM of the team, saying that he's he's a personal pal. He's He's got a fair bit of confidence yes. in what Dave Tippett's going well, to be able to he accomplish. He said Tippett was number one choice the whole time through. Out of 15 candidates, he was always number one. Feeling a little bit for Keith Gretzky, who 
really put his neck out there and said, just so everybody knows, I wouldn't mind hanging on to, to one of these gigs, would like to remain the GM, and now Ken Holland doesn't have a whole lot to say about him, well, obviously. maybe he was choice number two. You never know. Uh, so that's the voice of Morgan Black. I'm Kelsey Campbell in for Jalen Nye. She is away this afternoon. You may have heard about the insanity that's going on at Everest. Uh, it's already the most challenging thing you could probably put your body and your soul through. What it takes to summit Everest physically, mentally, and financially. We're going to talk to a guy who has not done it once, twice, three times, but four times. And he has led 11 expeditions to Everest. His name is Wally Berg. And he's guided people to the other seven highest peaks in the world as well. Fascinating conversation we'll be having with him in seconds. And a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be speaking with two young females from the City of Edmonton's Youth Council. They are heading up the Health and Wellness Committee, and they're doing something pretty special, putting a spotlight on youth and mental health in our city and we're really starting to identify the shortfalls because youth are speaking up they're filling out this survey and saying where they're feeling failed by the system either financially or or with what services are currently available and then after that at three o'clock we'll be speaking with leslie allen the ceo of the ywca super interesting the city of Edmonton is taking this on they're trying to identify where people in general feel most unsafe and trying to figure out what those identifiable markers are in each of these communities or if it's a specific street if it's a specific alleyway park whatever it is and trying to stamp out that feeling of unease or if there's this trouble area where people are most likely to be attacked why that is trying to identify that but we've got our guest of honor waiting on the line. And I don't think it matters if what you have accomplished uh, when you are trying to think of the greatest things that you can do, when you are looking at someone who has summited Everest four times. He is the owner of Berg Adventure, Adventures International. Again, 11 expeditions he has led to Everest, and he's summited it four times himself. Hi, Wally Berg. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Well, you bet. It's good to speak with you this afternoon. Before we get into to some of the unfortunate stories that are coming from, from Everest right now and talking maybe about where those challenges lie, can you walk us through where your mind has to be at to just even decide, you know what, I'm going to take on Everest? <laughs> well, for me personally, it goes back, and I know others can relate, to a lifelong draw to the high peaks, the extremes of the world, the planet. And of course, in recent years, Everest has become somewhat trite and some would say overdone. Um, it was referred to as the democratization of Everest some years ago when Elizabeth Hawley, that venerable journalist who worked in Nepal for years, began to note that ordinary people were going. You no longer had to be a nationally sponsored climber. And Everest opened up for a lot of people from there. But going back before that, those early National Geographics you received around your house when you were a kid, images of Mallory and Irvin in the 20s, of Hillary and Tenzing, the first British expedition. And then for generations, perhaps younger than myself, 
uh, awareness of uh, first the first American Canadian expedition in the 1982, the first Canadians on Everest, Laurie Scruslett and Pat Morrow. Um, kids look at these things, they grow up with dreams of adventure and accomplishment, and Everest is a symbol to the world, and it certainly has been a symbol to a lot of Canadians. What did it mean to you that first time you've got to the top <laughs> top of the world? Well, it was uh, it, it was truly amazing. It's a step removed from kind of immediate awareness. You don't like let it down and sit there and go, oh, I made it. It's not over because any climber of a big mountain knows it's not over till you get down. So you have your your mind's running on an immediate task list, priority list. So what I got to do to get myself out of here, get my teammates down, not have frostbite, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're you're really still kind of intently involved with tasks that are going to keep yourself alive, but you know in the back of your mind you've made this accomplishment and it'll settle in some days. So I've heard that a common kind of a expression from a lot of people who are up there. You don't really savor or enjoy those times on the top, but you realize after years and years and then immediately before a given expedition, months of planning, you've made it. And that's an amazing feeling. And Wally, speaking of planning, can you describe to us what kind of training physically and mentally goes into preparing to summit? Well, it probably varies a great deal with people going now. I, I think it's clear that it does. But the classic thing is that it's it's a supreme physiological effort. Now, this is high in the atmosphere. You can talk about K2, for instance, being a steeper mountain, perhaps a harder mountain. You can talk about a lot of mountaineering objectives and say uh, they're harder compared to Everest, uh, more demanding, more technical, whatever. But still, going to 8,848 meters, 29,035 feet in the atmosphere, you know, it was only in the 1970s that it was proven by Reinhold Mesner and Peter Hubbard that we could do this. This is extreme. And so the, you have to learn about your physiology. You have to be with the right people. Certainly train yourself. And then it's a matter of time. And I think when these spring seasons come around, as they are this year, and through the media, we get awareness of here goes another ever season. What's the drama going to be this year? It usually, when you start reading the accounts, it dawns on, wait a minute, this is late May. These people left home at the end of March or perhaps in early April. They were around the world in Nepal or in Tibet in very different kinds of countries and cultures in very demanding situations for seven, eight weeks before this happened. And so I think that's um, a defining thing about climbing an 8,000-meter peak, especially Everest. It takes a lot of time. So when you fast forward to the images that come out this week, every year, some really notable ones this year, you know, the lineups, the crowds, the uh, backlogs. You don't want to oversimplify that too much and deny the fact that each of those person and those backlogs on those particularly crowded days had already been outside of Canada, the United States, Europe, various parts of Asia, wherever they were from. They'd been outside and away from home climbing on a big mountain for weeks to get themselves to that final step-by-step slow progress as they trounced their way up to the very top. 
I found it interesting right out of the gates. You said people are starting to feel like maybe Everest is overdone. You first started these expeditions and, and summited it yourself in the 80s. How much has it changed as far as accessibility goes? The technology is more available to us so that we can all kind of throw on our own pack, get the ice picks out, and uh, people can just be that ambitious now. Would you say that the popularity has has put people in greater harm than, say, back in the 80s when far fewer were trying to tackle this beast? Well, it's difficult to say what greater harm is. And you get these, you know, the, the numbers come out. I think there were 800 and some successful ever summit this year and 10 fatalities and then there were 10 fatalities on other big mountains 8,000 meter peaks in nepal and every year is different we had a terrible back we had a tremendous loss of 15 triple life simultaneously a terrible accident in the ice fall a few years ago uh, things are always happening but there have been some very notable changes that have come slowly through, let's say, the beginning in the 1990s and through the, to the current era, which has been many, many years, some decades now. Uh, there's a tendency to fix lines or attach ropes to the mountain literally every step of the way from base camp up through the ice fall, the Western Coombe, Western uh, Geneva Spur, all these famous uh, landmarks from the Swiss and the British when they named these climbing features on the south side of Everest. And uh, we didn't used to do that. I used to do commercial expeditions in the 80s and 90s and beyond. And I uh, went as a professional climber, a guide, with as a resource person, and there to someone literally help, literally help someone make the right steps, certainly the right judgments and equipment issues and uh, watching the weather and motivation and everything else. But we didn't... Uh, put these fixed lines or permanently uh, per season attached features so you just followed lines up to the summit all the way. We do that now, and that, quite frankly, has led to some of the congestion you see those dramatic photographs about. And it has almost certainly led to a situation where more people are there who quote do not belong there. Now I'm not a very I'm not the kind of person that wants to undersell anyone's dream or ability to get themselves high on Everest, especially with all the weeks of effort that it takes that I've mentioned. But you know, in in fact, you you do have to wonder if someone doesn't have the basic skill to walk up a mountain and stay in balance and move on their own. Uh, where it's going when you get in those lines that you've seen the photographs and literally it seems like no one is making any judgment uh, or making any effort on their own. I have to hand it to those people. They they went through gruelingly long hours to climb up and despite the terrible statistics you hear about loss, it may be 10 this year on Everest, you still have to turn away from that and look at the dozens and dozens, in fact, hundreds of people who did make it. And um, so it's a remarkable situation. It's it's intriguing, shocking, terrifying to some. But I find every spring we prove to ourselves we really can't let go of our fascination with it. Everest is an icon for the world. And one of the things that's defined the recent uh, years on Everest is just as interest might be waning a bit from perhaps some of the Western countries, European, uh, North American um, 
Asian countries, in particular India and many of the other Southeast Asian countries, and China itself has shown a great interest in recreational or non-sponsored climbers getting a shot at Everest. So I think we have to accept that it is a great mountain, the tallest mountain. It'll always hold its intrigue and its fascination and its history. And it it does truly belong to the world. All right, we're speaking with Wally Berg, the owner of Berg Adventures International, who guides expeditions to Everest. He's been there, as well as seven other high points. He summited Everest four times and led 11 expeditions from the late 80s to 2013. When we come back after the break, we'll discuss with him why this has been one of the deadliest seasons on Mount Everest, right after these. people have now died attempting to scale the peak of Mount Everest this year. It's the highest number since 2015. Sherry Preston reports on some of the reasons why this has been such a deadly season. First of all, it's the sheer number of climbers. The Nepalese government has issued 381 permits more than any other year. The overcrowding leading to several Instagrammed photos of puffy-coated men and women all trying to reach the summit. Arizona doctor Ed Doring was one of them. He'd be sitting, sometimes standing still for 5, 10, 15 minutes in very cold conditions with very low oxygen. Another problem, more inexpensive experienced climbers. Mountaineering expert Alan Arnett thinks there should be more rules. You have to qualify to run the Boston Marathon, but you don't have to qualify to attempt the highest mountain on the planet. Sherry Preston, ABC News. We have on the line Wally Berg, who has summited Everest four times. Wally, when your job is to lead these expeditions, and you did so over a period of more than two decades, what kind of conversations are you having with people who said, you know, I'm I'm a pretty casual hiker, but this is on the bucket list. I've got to do it. Well, I got it easy, and I think most of us who are in this game seriously have it easy in that sense. When someone calls our office in Alberta and camera up and says, I want to climb Everest, uh, we've got the world to offer. We offer a sense of all of the other continental high points, these seven summits. We offer trekking and climbing trips all over the world, including the Canadian Rockies. So uh, no one can accuse us, nor most of the good operators, of just trying to send unqualified uh, people off to Everest. I think some of that goes on, but... Um, I've been climbing recently with lifelong clients and friends who got into this decades ago. And uh, if you're going to climb Mount Everest, it ought to be in your blood. Mountaineering ought to be in your blood. (laughs) And you ought to start out with some lesser peaks, learn that, follow it through, hopefully get a shot at Everest or another 8,000-meter peak. And and that's something that gets lost on a lot of people. And there are plenty of people say, I just want to climb one mountain that's Mount Everest because it's the highest. They usually don't stay around long. But I think if you look at who's genuinely getting interested in this, it develops into a lifelong avocation. And Everest itself sometimes gets pushed back as a distant dream. But what you're doing uh, throughout the months and years on your way to Everest are extremely rewarding, and it becomes part of your life. You become a mountaineer. Wally, when these individuals are scaling the mountain and they're running into perhaps let's say a traffic jam upon the mountain how important are those minutes when you have a limited amount of oxygen well you you can listen you can read the 
there's so many descriptions of what it's like climbing Everest with and without oxygen. That thing about taking one step and then taking five breaths <laughs> without oxygen, one more step and taking 15 breaths. And that's not an exaggeration. It's really like that. So one of the things when you see those horrendous-looking, of course, they've always got on really bright suits and their big, huge down jackets, and they look really fluffy and Michelin-y, you know, and it, it looks so hideous. Yeah. Uh, when you when you really back off that and realize those people are moving very, very slowly anyway, <laughs> it's not particularly flattering to see them in those long lines. Um, but actually, I think the truth is, they're all moving about the same speed. And uh, one of the things that I have seen in the in the actual recording of the attempts this year, and if you look at it closely, you'll see there was a great deal of success on a number of days when teams were smart enough to go when there were fewer teams going. We could communicate well at base camp, and we'd get our, uh, our weather reports. And the last time I was there, for instance, in 2013, I intentionally picked a day when the weather was pretty sketchy. I thought we could make it, but uh, it wasn't the best day. And when you're in a situation like that on any mountain as a guide, you can you can factor things like that in. I'd rather climb in a few clouds and have the crowds gone than get up there in those uh, hideously uh, long lines. So there's lots of factors that go into it. But again, I keep reminding people that it's not a flash in the pan, quick decision. Oh, I'm going to Everest. Oh, I have $40,000 or 65000 or 80000 U.S. dollars. Take me to Everest. It's something that people consider slowly, and they get themselves over there, and they spend weeks getting to know the Sherpas, getting to know high altitude, getting to know their bodies. And a surprisingly high number of them are there on that do-or-die summit day. It's a fascinating story. If some of them get home, let them tell their stories, and I think you'll find people who uh, found, as all mountaineers do, a great deal of humility and learned about, about themselves on the mountain. Wally, we've got about a million questions for you, but we're up against the news now. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Congratulations on what has been your life's work. Well, and congratulations for uh, your interest in something that I think affects a lot of people closely. And please follow up with them when they get home, and uh, you'll hear some more great stories. That's Wally Berg. Four times he's summited Everest, owner of Berg Adventures International.